0: Amen, amen. uh, We've been watching that video before the message the last several weeks because we're talking about uh, Ephesians. Uh, This part of Ephesians where it talks about being in the light. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, Thanks for picking this church to come to today. I know there's uh, a lot of churches that you could choose to go to. Uh, We're glad you chose this one. If I haven't met you before, my name is John. I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, Shake your hand, say thank you for coming here. Why? You came, and we believe you're here for a reason, that God doesn't make any mistakes. We've prayed that he would speak to you today. So thank you, thank you for coming. If you have been around our church that much lately, you would have heard us talk about families. You've heard us say this thing that we believe if we love the family that we can change the world, and we believe that straight out of the word of God. And to that end, I just want to, like, give you a quick report. Uh, We put a ton of effort into sending kids and teenagers to summer camp over the past uh, several weeks. We started talking about it. Six, seven weeks ago. and Before we get started today, I just want to, give, like I said, give you a little report. Say thank you for getting on board. So we sent uh, uh, Pastor Lucas and Selena. They did a great job. They took six teenagers and themselves up to Cascade. Uh, it was awesome. They had a great time up there. I know they did because I was up there as well. Uh, we took 14 younger kids to that thing. Uh, it was awesome. Six adults up there. Uh, and all the adults would just say it was a piece of cake. They got plenty of sleep. It was the easiest thing in the whole world. <laughs> Pastor Lucas did back-to-back uh, camp weeks along with me, um, and it was awesome. I just want you to know, as a church, you gave around $1,500 to make that happen, uh, to sink you. So, yes, give the Lord a hand for that. It was awesome. And here's the thing. Uh, that makes an eternal impact. We might not know today what God spoke to a 7- or 8-year-old at camp, but in 5 or 10 or 15 years, we are going to know. Kids are going to point to this past week and say, God spoke to me when I was 8 years old. I didn't even know what it was, but God was speaking, and here I am today. I know that because I have a version of that story. A lot of people in this place would say they have a version of that story, and I'm excited to see it, and I'm just so grateful that you got on board and were a part of it. Um, we also had a missionary here last week. Uh, Jonathan and Sarah Strong were here. They're missionaries to Nepal. Uh, uh, you gave over $750, and a love offering for them. So thank you for doing that. They were super blessed by that. It took them to lunch afterwards. They're getting ready to take their two kids to Nepal uh, here at the end of July. And uh, we're just going to continue to pray for them. I believe God's going to be with them. So thanks for loving on them. Last week, they were blessed to be here. This morning, we're continuing on in this journey through the book of Ephesians. We're on to chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 5. Get your device out. Scroll there, however you want to do it. Uh, We're continuing on with this theme of being in the light. Two weeks ago, uh, but uh, previous to the missionary, we talked about how if we are believers in Jesus, we walk in the truth. And how the truth of Jesus, of who Jesus is, it affects our daily lives. And we centered in on this phrase, what we believe and what we do are tied together. We said it over and over again. What we believe and what we do are tied together. And Paul, who's the author of Ephesians, he really starts to get into some practical stuff. here. He starts pointing out, and we talked about this two weeks ago, he starts pointing out habits that are sinful. Up to this point, he's been giving us uh, theological stuff, but he starts pointing out habits that are sinful, giving us direct instruction about how we live. A couple of examples from two weeks ago, we talked about how, and it's in Ephesians chapter five, about how we tell the absolute truth in all things. And in doing so, we follow the command that's in Ephesians chapter 5 to reject falsehood. One of the things I said, and it's a thing I try to live by, is that if you're going to tell the truth to other people, you first have to learn to tell the truth to yourself. You've got to be honest about what's going on inside of your own heart. Another thing we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, just to give you some context, we keep anger from becoming bitterness. We examine that scripture that most of you have heard, I'm sure, even if you've never been to church, you've heard, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And what it really means is don't let your bitterness or your don't let your uh, your anger turn to bitterness. Finally, we talked about how it's in the Bible that God commands us to work. We are sinning if we are able to work and we don't. How laziness refusing to work leads to destruction. And how this idea that we should work if we're able, it's a command and not a suggestion. Paul's not giving us suggestions here. This morning, we're talking about we're kind of continuing on and we're talking about Uh, how it's God's desire that we walk in love. It's actually setting up for the rest of Ephesians. The rest of it gets really practical talking about marriages and raising kids and the armor of God and those kinds of things. Paul's about to give us two chapters of discussion of how we do this, of how we walk in love. I know that's kind of a strange-sounding term. If you're, like, brand new to the church thing and we're saying walk in love, I know that sounds weird, but uh, we'll kind of get through it here. Paul lays it out for us in these first two verses, what it looks like. If you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read those quickly. I'm reading the NIV this morning. It says this, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Before we get into the rest of this section in We're going to break it up into different parts over the next couple weeks. There's this foundation that has to be set. And that foundation is that we, as God's children, we are told to imitate God. Imitate God. And why do we imitate God? We do it because, if you've been here the previous weeks, we do it because we're his children. We imitate God because we're his kids. Many of you have walked the road of parenthood or you're walking it now or you're about to. And one thing I'm finding out at uh, time of being a parent, uh, I, I know I always qualify this just so you know, we have three kids. One is 25, uh, one is nine, and one is six. It's a really long and cool story how those ages work out. But one thing I'm finding out is that my kids, they just naturally imitate the things, they just want to naturally imitate the things that I do. I don't tell them or make them do it, they just do. Now, whenever someone asks me that's about to have a kid about uh, what it's like being a dad, I tell them, Listen, be prepared for them to copy everything that you do. And that it's simultaneously awesome and terrifying when they, when they copy everything you do. Because what I have found out is, like it or not, good habits or bad, my kids are going to imitate me. That, because I'm their dad. Our daughter Christina, who's 25, she's not here today. Uh, she picked up my love for concerts, my love for sports. Been at tons of concerts, tons of sporting events, played sports my whole life. And we adopted her uh, when she was a teenager, and she still picked up my love for concerts and my love for sports. She will move heaven and earth for either of those two things. She will drive hours to play in one slow-pitch softball game. She'll pay serious money to go to one concert for a band that she likes. I can't begrudge her for it because I know where she got it. I can't question it because I know that it's something at times she has seen in me. My son, John, he was up here sitting in the front in his baseball shirt I've mentioned before to you how he loves baseball. I got to help coach his baseball team this past spring. We're big Dodger fans. Got my got my Dodger uh, water cup here today. That worked out well. And John can't help but he just can't help but coach up the guys he's watching on TV. I coached him all year, right? I mean he's he was eight and then he turned nine partway through the season, and a lot of this stuff. Uh, was basic stuff if you know baseball, right? How to lead off of a base and when you run and when you don't those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll hear him coaching these guys up on TV. I walked in the other day, and uh, if you know baseball, you'll know what this means. I walked in the other day, I didn't know he was watching the game, and I heard him, the other room, I heard him just say, nasty. If you know baseball, you know what that means, right? It means it was a pitch that was nasty. And you know where he got that? Right here, <laughs> I see Clayton Kershaw break off that curveball. That's what I say, ooh, that was nasty. He's nine, and he's figured that out. My son Luke, man, he is six. He's about to turn seven to four, as long as he's been able to. he's the one that has wanted to mimic my habits exactly. He wants to wear to bed what I wear to bed. He wants to use the same color toothbrush I use. He wants to use the same color toothpaste I use. He wants to do it all exactly just like I do it. Not because I told him to or because I'm anything amazing, just I'm his dad and he wants to imitate me. The point is, I'm not instructing them with words to do any of this. They just imitate me because I'm their father. And this is what Paul is talking about here with us as children of God. If we are children of God, and Paul spent the whole first part of Ephesians telling us that if we accept Christ, we are part of God's family, meaning we are his kids if we're children of God, then we're going to begin to naturally imitate his nature. We're just going to do it. We're going to talk the way that his son Jesus speaks in his word. We're going to act the way he acted. So what does it look like when we imitate God? Well, verse 2 tells us that if we are God's children, we will live a life filled with love. We will live a life filled with love. And we live a life filled with love by following the example of Christ. We're following this logical journey through this. And it all sounds fine and dandy in Puppies and Kittens until we read this next part. Because the example of Christ is that he loved us so much, he gave his life for us. I, can, I don't know about you, but I can get on board. Yeah, I should love everyone around me. That sounds real nice. Until it gets to the give your life for the other people part. And I think Paul sets it up this way for a reason, because he understands something really important. That the things he's about to ask the Ephesians to do over this next two chapters that we'll talk about over the next several weeks. The things he's going to ask them to do, uh, they're going to go directly against the very fabric of the time and culture they're living in. Though none of us can give our physical lives in order to send someone to heaven, we can love the world around us in a sacrificial way. And they can notice that there's something different about us in the way we speak, the way we go about our lives, the way we love on our family. Paul's about to give us two chapters of instruction of how to love like Jesus loves. But over this next uh, few weeks, we need to remember two things, and we'll probably say these at the beginning. Uh, Imitating God and loving like Jesus loves, it's going to look utterly foreign to those who don't know him. If you live in a godly way uh, in the midst of people who don't know him, it is going to look weird to them. And the other thing we need to understand is we can't do it without Jesus' help. You can't live uh, like Jesus lived without his help. You see, when we walk in love, we look different than the world looks. With that in mind, let's read uh, these next uh, few verses. This is uh, verses 3 through 5. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. See, friends, the first way that we look different In the world is in our morality, in our morality. You know, one of the things I've always loved about the Bible is that when it comes to the commands that it gives us, it's very black and white. It's really not hard to interpret a lot of it. I'm not saying in the Bible there's never any room for discussion, because there's things that we discuss and have big, deep theological debates about. Really good example, I remember when I was in Bible college, it was my like third or fourth year, and I was in this class called Pentecostal Doctrine, and uh, I kind of sleepily got into, walked into this class, and we got into this big debate about Matthew 3. And in Matthew 3, that's when Jesus is baptized in water. And it's, right, Jesus is baptized in water. That's where we get the example of being baptized in water. And it says God speaks, and the Holy Spirit comes. You can probably finish it, right, as a? Yes, St. Patrick is on it, right? So we had this big, long discussion. Did it appear as a dove or was it an actual physical dove? I'm telling you, those people that were passionate about it was an actual bird. And there was people that were passionate that it was not an actual bird. It's a passage that's interesting to discuss. It doesn't really matter for our salvation. It's not a sin to believe it was an actual bird, although I don't think it was. Not a sin to believe that. There are passages like that one that are interesting to discuss. This, however, is not one that leaves room for discussion. And I'm so grateful for that because I, in my life, I need sometimes some people to tell me, this is what you should do. And this issue of morality, what's right and wrong, I don't know about you, but I see a whole bunch of people struggling with that in our daily lives. Something that we deal with on a daily basis. And God gives us a direct command. This is not a suggestion. Gives us a direct command through Paul here, verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. It does not matter what version you read. This is a direct command. Sometimes people will be like, well, I don't really like the way the NIV puts it, so I'm going to go find another one that makes it a little more gentle. New Living Translation, which I read a lot of days right now, says, let there be no sexual immorality. New King James, which I know a lot of you have, says, let it not even be named. ESV must not even be named. We need to understand, friends, that what we're grappling with today, is not much different than what Paul was grappling with 2,000 years ago. If you go read about the things that were going on in the Roman Empire at this time, uh, it's going to sound very familiar. The availability of stuff might be different, right? They didn't have magic devices all the time that they could look up anything they wanted at any time. But the type of sin is absolutely the same human nature is human nature and with the three sins he's talking about here this author tony marita his commentary I've been reading he says this these sins grow out of a heart that has replaced god with functional saviors in other words what we've done as humans is we've replaced god with a temporary feeling that we can find on this earth and the problem is that those temporary fixes they lead to destruction and before we move on to the other types of sin that Paul specifically calls out here, I want to say something very plainly to all of you in this place. The temptation when it comes to sexual immorality uh, in our lives to hold it at arm's length is powerful to do that. Just get it on the edges of our lives so it doesn't bother us all the time, but it's not enough. Because what God says is that there must not even be a hint. What does your new King James say? Let it not even be named. Another scripture that, to me, goes right along with this, and this is what Paul wrote. He wrote this one also. He wrote it to his younger friend, Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I want us to notice the severe language that Paul is using, not even a hint. Flee the evil desires. He's trying to get it across to us. This is important. Not only are we not to have anything that resembles sexual immorality in our lives, we're to turn our back on it and we're to go the other way. The word flee has a specific meaning, right? Uh, If someone is fleeing from something, here's what they're not doing. Well, I guess I'll just walk away from the scary thing that's behind me. Right? If you're fleeing from something, you get your running shoes on and you sprint as fast as you can as far as you can until you're safe. That's the severity that Paul's talking about here. When it comes to sexual immorality, flee. Go as fast and as far as you can and do not turn around. Now, one aspect of this is in our actions. And notice it doesn't specify the type of immorality here. And in the church, we can be really quick to condemn what we aren't comfortable with, but be more lenient towards what's familiar. But right here, it's all in the same bucket. There's no differentiation here. So if there's someone who is in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, that's immorality and that sin. So that's what it says right here. If there's someone that is in any homosexual relationship, that's immorality and that sin. If we're going to call one out, we better call the other out and vice versa. Both are sinful and both call for repentance. But here's the best part, and this is what we know in here, the wondrous grace of Jesus it's enough for either one of these. But there's no difference, no differentiation between types of immorality. The other aspect uh, to this command are the types of things that we allow to surround us. What we watch and what we listen to and, and allow ourselves to be entertained by. And I'll just tell all of you in this place, because we live in a generation, I've got my laptop right here, I've got an iPad back there, I've got my phone right there. We live in this generation where we have a screen in front of us all the time, But I'll just say to all of you, men, women, every age, there's no room for pornography, inappropriate content in our lives. You can't have it. You absolutely can't. There's no amount that it's okay. There's no room for, oh, it's just a little, so it's fine. Got an example for you here, so if I can navigate the maze. Anybody know what this guy is right here? I'll show it for the camera here, San Antonio. Carbon monoxide detector. Right. So we have one of these in our house. When we adopted Christina, we had to do an adoption home study, and they come and check out your house. And uh, There's a lot of reasons for these. Uh, if you are going to have a daycare or you're going to adopt or foster, you have to have one to make sure there's no carbon monoxide in the air. If your furnace is old, your person that comes to work on it will say, well, you should get a carbon monoxide detector just to make sure there's no carbon monoxide getting into the, uh, the air in your home. And here's the thing about carbon monoxide detectors. I thought about plugging this thing in and making it go off just to show you how obnoxious it is. But they are so loud. They, like, they make your ears hurt for a while when they go off. And here's the reason, because carbon monoxide is this gas that it only takes a tiny, tiny bit of it to kill you. So this thing, it will go off uh, at 150 or 200 parts per million so that's uh, 0.015 percent of the air if 0.015 percent of the air is gas this thing will go bonkers and you will not be able to do anything until you turn it off and you know why because 150 parts per million is enough to kill you there's a reason they make this thing so obnoxious and so loud because carbon monoxide is so so dangerous And when it comes to stuff that's inappropriate in our homes, inappropriate images, a little bit, 150 parts per million can be fantastically destructive. I know it's not only a problem for men, but I do want to say to fellow men in this room or guys who are listening online, it is our job to lead in this. If you doubt it, go back to what the scripture says, right? Not a hint of immorality. Flee from it, turn our back on it, and allow it no space in our lives. I can tell you with certainty that this is 100% counter to the way the world thinks. It was counter to what Paul's world was thinking. That's why he had to write it. He had to write it because they needed a spiritual carbon monoxide detector in their lives. Hey, this is going to mess with you, this is going to wreck your families and wreck your lives. I'm not saying to go put an alarm on your TV or your phone or whatever, but I'm saying uh, as an example, man, it's as dangerous as a gas that could physically kill you. I'll say to young men in this place, start now and allow it no space in your lives. Whatever it takes. When it comes to the stuff that you look at, you see, you listen to, whatever it takes, if that means you put a parental control on your TV, that means you never take a computer out of a room where someone else can see. That means you turn the data off on your phone. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I will tell you whatever it takes to flee. Because the reason is because it can quite literally change the course of your life. If you've got a family, it can save the spiritual life of your family. I know it sounds like I'm getting uh, really dire and serious, but it is dire and serious. Because it says flee. It says, don't even talk about it. It says, let there be no hint. And we can see how serious it is. But notice what else is mentioned along with it. The rest of the stuff, the next two things, as serious as it is, destructive as it is, the rest of it is just as important. Verse 4 No nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking lest we start believing that uh, what we say doesn't matter very much. You know, I was just joking. I would never actually do that thing that I said I was gonna do. Here's what it says. There should be, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or of course joking. I don't see how we can get away from the fact that the way that we talk is mentioned right along sexual sin, therefore of equal importance. We've got one more thing mentioned here, verse five. No immoral, impure Or a greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. So there we see the way we speak, we see sexual immorality, and now we see greed. Now greed is something that we don't talk about very often because most everyone would think that does not apply to them. Right? If you're going to talk about greed, not many of us would say, oh yeah, I'm pretty greedy. (laughs) But you know as well as I do, that in our culture, greed and the desire for more, man, that surrounds us at every moment. You go work in corporate America, that's the air you breathe, the desire for more. So what does it all mean for us? Well, We circle back around to that thought that we talked about at the beginning. That's this, if we walk in love, we look different than the world. If we walk in love, then when it comes to these three things we just talked about, we look different than the world. It means that we leave zero space for immorality in our lives. If we leave zero space for immorality in our lives. If we remove inappropriate speech from our daily routine, which I know can be difficult. If we live with a thankful heart instead of a greedy heart, then we're doing what we were instructed to do way back in verse 2. We're living a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. That's what the new living says, living a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Someone already said it today, I can't remember who it was, but we can't do any of this without God's help each day. You can't flee from immorality. You can't change the way you speak. You can't eliminate greed from your life uh, without God's help. Can't do it if we're not praying each day. Even if it's in your car on the way to work. Even if you're a little bit like me, when you first wake up in the morning, things can be a little foggy. You need to drink a little coffee. Even if you're praying in the car on the way to work. If we aren't reading uh, the Bible each day, if we aren't worshiping and breaking bread with other believers on a regular basis, just like we're doing in here, all of this is going to seem almost impossible. It's going to seem impossible to flee from immorality unless you're praying and worshiping, breaking bread with other believers. But the good news is that Jesus gives us the strength each day. And here's the thing, a life that's lived in devotion to Christ, it's the best testimony to the people around you you're ever going to find. A life that's different and a life lived in devotion to something besides the things of this world, it's the best testimony to those around you. It says as much as any sermon is ever going to say, every song sung is ever going to say. And when we walk in love, we look different than the world. That's how we give our life. We reject immorality. When we walk in love, we look different. And when we look different in the world, this is another thing. The second thing is we reject darkness. We reject darkness. Ephesians 5, 6 through 10 is what we're reading here. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Paul, he's telling those that he is writing to here, these dear Christians that he loves, people that though uh, back in this time, 2,000 years ago, they did a lot more walking and had a lot less screens. But other than that, they were pretty similar to us. He's telling them right here in these verses, there's going to be temptation to blur the lines. As we alluded to above, when we start to live as the Bible is asking us to live, it will affect our lifestyle. If you decide, I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to live the, the way the Bible tells me to live, and nothing changes, then maybe it didn't, the thing didn't happen that you thought happened. In effect, Paul's giving us here another type of sin to watch out for. Because when our life changes and people notice, there will be those who look to find good reasons to sin. We've seen it all over the place, right? There will be people that try and find good reasons to sin. The words here, man, I think they're poignant. Verse 7, therefore, do not be partners with them. People who try to blur the lines. Do not be partners. If you recall, uh, we talked a couple chapters ago, it was several weeks ago, about something that for the people that this was being written to, it would have been life-changing. Because the Gentiles, they had never had access to God in the same way that the Jewish people had. They couldn't go to the temple, couldn't do any of that stuff. But Jesus came and he made it possible for them to know God in the same way. And in Ephesians 3.6, it says uh, they, they were sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And it's the same Greek word that's translated partner here in verse 7. So Paul's telling the Ephesians that just like you are now partners in the promise of Christ Jesus, that they're also to reject becoming partners with those who would try to blur the lines of the gospel. You are partners with Jesus. You're partners with Christ, so there's now no need to be partners with the world. And likewise, we, friends, are now partners with Christ, so there's no need to be partners with this world. Now, please understand, I'm not advocating for us to be uh, legalistic in our relationships. I'm simply saying that the way we are to live as Christians, it should be morally influenced by God's word and not the world around us. And we must understand, friends, and we've talked a little bit about this, there's a sharp divide between the darkness and the light. When it comes to the darkness and the light, there's really no gray area there. It doesn't mean that you don't have friends who are not believers. and It doesn't mean that you shun anyone who doesn't believe what you believe. But it does mean that what they say and what they believe, it doesn't change your lifestyle. We must understand there's a sharp divide between the darkness and the light. Look at what the reason is here in verse 8. I think this is really cool. Paul says here, for once you were Darkness. Notice it doesn't say that once you were in darkness. It says, once you were darkness. It doesn't say they were in darkness. It says, hey, you were the darkness itself. When you were not obeying these commands, you were the darkness itself. So when we are part of the group of people that's trying to blur the line between the darkness and the light, we are the ones bringing the darkness to bear on the world. We are the darkness. And that sounds pretty dire. But the next part is just as hopeful because it says now we are light in the Lord. Not that we're in the light, but we are light in the Lord. You see, we aren't just struggling to be a good person in a crooked world. That's not all we're doing. No, when we reject those three things that we were talking about a few minutes ago, we don't just walk in the light, we become the light. And we bring God's light to bear on the kingdom of darkness. You become the light. You understand how powerful that is? Uh, Think about, you know, it doesn't happen this time of year in Idaho very much because it's light for so long. But in the winter, when you wake up in the morning and it's pitch black in your room and someone flips on the light. And it's just blindingly bright because you've known nothing but darkness for eight hours. When we follow these commands, when we do uh, what God is asking us to do, we are that blinding light in the middle of a dark room. We're not just walking in it. We are the light. And we bring God's light to bear on the kingdom of darkness. Instead of immorality, inappropriate speech, and greed, our lives become filled with what verse uh, verse 9 talks about here. Goodness and righteousness and truth. I'm here to tell you today, and maybe I don't have to tell you this, maybe you already know. But the world is going to try to tell you that you are missing out on something if you follow God with your whole being. They're going to try and tell you, oh, man, you're going to miss out on a whole bunch of fun. There's all kinds of fun. If you go do this God thing, you decide to be a Christian, you decide to go to church, you're going to miss out on all kinds of fun. And I'm not denying that sometimes uh, sin might seem fun for a moment. There's a whole bunch of people that have been serving God for a lot of their life that would tell you sin is no match for the goodness and righteousness and truth of God. Not even comparable. There's some things I can tell you with certainty, friends. If you've been struggling with immorality in your life, even just holding it at arm's length and never quite out of you, Struggle to take the steps maybe you need to take. And I understand it, man, as... As a male, you take out your phone and you swipe through Facebook or Instagram or whatever the images that it tries to serve you because they make money if you click on them. That's the reason I don't have the Facebook app on my phone, by the way. We can talk details about that later, guys, if you want to. But even if that's you, you're just holding it at arm's length and never quite out of you just in case you want to go back to it. When you turn your back on it and when you flee, you run the other way with all your might and as fast as you can. You're going to have peace and goodness in your relationships that you never imagined that you've never seen. That's the truth. That's what God is promising. You're going to begin to interpret your emotions when it comes to other people in a completely different way when you flee from immorality. When you begin to change the way that you talk, this is something I think every one of us can work on every single day. When you begin to change the way that you talk, the temperature of your conversations begins to change you change the way you talk, uh, you're going to be surprised how people respond to you. When we begin to be daily thankful for what God has given us, instead of relentlessly looking for more, man, when we're thankful, the condition of our heart begins to soften. Because instead of our own goals and our own aspirations, our heart, it begins to line up with God's heart. What are we seeing early? His heart is full of... Uh, Love and mercy and goodness that will follow us all the days of our lives. This is a picture of what it looks like to love the world around us just as Christ did. To, in the face of opposition, put down the things of this world and pick up the things of God. To do it, just talked about to become the light and existing goodness and righteousness and truth. If you walk out of here remembering one thing, remember that when we walk in love, we look different than the world. And that is how we love just as Christ loved us. By showing that there is a different way to live than the world shows. Because no matter how good any of us in this place lives, uh, we can't give our lives for someone's sins. We're not good enough. Jesus was the only one that could do that. But we can give our lives by living in a way that looks like Jesus that points the way to him and when someone is struggling, they're going to say man I'm going to go find that guy at work that girl at work because something about them is different that's the way that we live a life filled with love I'm not telling you that it's going to be easy but I am telling you that uh, the love and mercy and goodness of God will follow you all the days of your life when you do and that's a promise that's saying God's word uh, would you bow your heads close your eyes Here's what we're going to do as we close this morning um I'm just going to have Pastor Lucas continue to play quietly, and I'm just going to give you a chance to reflect. I'm not going to call you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to come forward. I'm just going to give you a chance to reflect on what God might be speaking about, uh, maybe stuff you've allowed in your life, the way your speech needs to change, maybe the little bit of greed that we have hiding in the corner of our heart. In this quiet moment, I just want to allow God to speak to us uh, before we close this morning. This moment, I pray that you would, uh, as we take some time and give some space to you, I pray that you would speak uh, some things to hearts uh, in this room maybe that uh, they have never heard before ideas about how uh, to be the light that they've never considered before. Let's give him another moment or two, friends. Lord, I believe in this moment that you are speaking to hearts and you are moving in lives in ways that we have not known and seen before. Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room that we would exchange uh, immorality and greed and coarse speech, inappropriate talk. I pray that we would uh, exchange all of that for your goodness and your love and your mercy. Lord, I pray for those that are in this place, and they're in the fight of their life when it comes to some sort of of habit in their life. Uh, Lord, I pray that in this moment, you would give them deliverance. Lord Jesus, that what they're feeling right now, uh, just release and deliverance from you, I pray they would feel it when they walk out of this place. And when the enemy comes against them this week, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. I pray that uh, uh, every person in this place would dedicate themselves to your word to prayer, to breaking bread each week with your people. Lord, as we do those things, that you would breathe your life into us. I pray that every person in this place, Lord, that uh, instead of being the dark, they would become the light. That as voice. Boise, we would be a place that brings your light to bear on the darkness of this world. Would you use each one of us. Lord, I pray for uh, men in this place that are desperately trying to lead their families in a way that's honorable, that honors you, I just pray you would give them strength to do it. to come against the temptation and the strongholds of the enemy in every aspect of their life. I pray you'd give them strength and mercy today. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are good. God, thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Would you let your grace and your compassion find us, meet us? Would you let it go with us this morning? follow us all the days of our lives, but especially this day and this week. We pray these things in your holy, in your matchless name, Lord. Amen.